Hey, everybody, and welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. This is Katie Weaver, and I'm here with my co-host and partner in crime, Christy Brower. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Oh, it's going. <laughs> I was just uh, complaining. I'm a complainer. Uh, that I've done so many recordings today that my jaw hurts from wearing my headphones for so long. <laughs> That's a great problem to have. You know, it, is. it really that is. is a good problem to have. Yeah. It means really you're doing a lot of cool work and that's important. Right. I had, cause on Tuesdays I have my radio show that you can find at true crime parent or no, you can't. You can find <laughs> at one, two radio, or you can find it. Katie Weaver, domestic mystic here on YouTube. Uh, and then I also had recorded a series of 2021 predictions for someone else's show that I was sharing with them. Ah. And then did a bunch of uh, editing work. So anyway, I've been at this computer with these headphones on for what feels like the whole day. But, gotcha. you know, doing things I love. So who can complain about that? Yeah, no one. That's true. When you're doing what you love, then it's all good. That's right. And how are you? I'm okay. Uh, I'm in pain, but I'm okay. Yeah. I had a little procedure on my back last week. And ever since I had it, my hip hurts like crazy. So I had to see my back doctor today. And she thinks I actually have a problem separate from my back with my hip. Great. So I got a shot today and I had to have an x-ray and, you know, fun stuff like yeah. that. But we're getting it figured out, which is what is making me happy. Because, yeah. yeah, I don't like pain meds. I don't like being in pain at all. Mm -hmm. uh, does anyone? No. But, you know. No. Well, I hope you get some relief soon. I don't think you realized it, but when you messaged me and told me that uh, you'd been to the doctor, you had a hilarious typo. I did? Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What did I say? I think maybe you were voice texting. Well, I, I believe you were trying to say that you got a steroid shot in your hip. Yeah. You actually said that you got an asteroid in your hip. That's <laughs> <laughs> kind of found like, it felt like an asteroid hit me in the hip. So, so I responded, I hope the asteroid helps and you didn't respond. And so I thought she doesn't know she did that. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, I was a bit discombobulated because I just went to this appointment. Like, why am I hurting so bad? And they're like, boom, let's get you on the table and get you a shot. It just all happened really fast. So <laughs> mm -hmm. I have, I had an asteroid shot in my hip. Yes. And, and that's yeah. okay because if it makes hey, it stop hurting, great. Yeah. Yeah. Beam me up. Whatever. It, yeah. it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. <laughs> Beam me up, uh, Scotty. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll keep holding space that you get some relief and some answers. So that Yeah. I really care. think I'm going to. My doctor's awesome. Very smart. And she's always helping me out with stuff. So. Yeah. Very good. All righty. Well, we have a cold read case tonight. Uh, I'm going to present to Christy. This full disclaimer, this is a case that happened in our area. It is a request from a listener that we actually several of you have requested this case. So I'm glad that we're finally doing it. We're kind of doing a portion of it, to be honest. We're going to have to revisit because this uh, there are five missing girls in this case. We're going to talk about two of them tonight. Uh, we'll get to the rest of them, though, because they all deserve that coverage. Sure. Um, this happened in Pocatello, Idaho. Christy and I both have lived in Pocatello and worked in Pocatello and uh, college there. Yeah. So we, we both have some experience with Pocatello. And so, uh, but, so I want to, I want to offer you that disclaimer. It is a cold read case. Neither of us were very familiar with it, but we were definitely raised around it. So what the names are familiar to me, but um, I mean, it happened, what did you say in 1978? 1978. So yeah. I was born in 75. If that tells you anything. Yeah. yeah I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know anything about this case, so I'm excited to read yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and get started. So we are talking about the disappearance and murders of Tina Anderson and Patsy Campbell, or Patricia Campbell. So this happened on July 22nd, 1978. At least they disappeared on that date. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's been, you know, 40, what, 42 years ago now? Yeah. They were, Tina Anderson was 12, close to 13. Patty had, or Patsy had just turned 15. Uh, they both went to Alameda Junior High. Okay. And one of them, Tina had just finished the seventh grade. Patsy had just finished the ninth grade. Mm, so young. And then their remains were not found until October 1981. It was a little more than three years. They were found in Oneida County, actually uh, in Malad. 
Oh. So Malad is a little area right on the Idaho-Utah border. Mm-hmm. Everybody in Utah who wants to buy a lottery ticket, they drive to Malad. They do. Or want to buy better alcohol. <laughs> they mm-hmm. drive to Malad. Yeah, yeah, because the alcohol is quite limited in Utah. Yeah. Uh, it, that's a really remote area for the most part. I'm, Malad is an itty-bitty town, but around Malad, where their yeah. bodies were found is a uh, very remote uh, agricultural. And- yeah. 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 So, uh, so that's the crux of it. The story is kind of complicated and I'm going to do my best, but they did disappear from Alameda park. Okay. Alameda park is a good sized park in Pocatello. That's been there forever and ever. Mm-hmm. The day they disappeared, it was the, because it was the 22nd of July at Alameda Park, there was an enormous celebration going on, the 24th of July celebration or Pioneer Day. So oh, Pioneer right. Day. Or is July yeah. 22nd. Okay. Yep. So Pioneer Day is a celebration that goes on usually in Idaho and Utah. It's a Mormon thing. Yeah. That is a celebration of the pioneers uh, coming to Utah. And it's a big deal. I mean, it's celebrated still around here uh, and in Utah as well bigger than the 4th of July. Oh yeah. Huge parades and, you know, festivals at the parks and things like that. Fireworks. And yeah. Fireworks. Whole, oh yeah. The whole the whole, oh yeah. All of it. So that's where they were or, or where they had kind of been coming back and forth from. This was a huge event that the park was absolutely packed with people. It was a full day of activities and, you know, kind of that's where everybody was congregated. So the parade started at 11 and Patsy, Patsy and her family were, they were supposed to be going to the parade together. And right before the parade started, her dad, Bud got called away on a service call. Mm. And so he decided to go ahead and let the kids go walk to Alameda park and go to the parade and hang out. And he said he would catch up with them later. And unfortunately he never saw his daughter again. Oh, that's awful. Now, Tina, Tina was uh, 12 at the time. She, on her way to Alameda Park, she stopped at her sister's house and her sister asked her if she could babysit that evening. And she said no, because she was babysitting for someone else or someone named Mrs. Norton. So she was supposed to be at Mrs. Norton's house at 7 p.m. to babysit. And after she talked to her sister, she went back home and waited for a friend to come meet her to go to the 24th of July celebration. Mm-hmm. So at some point, both girls end up at the park together. So Tina's friend, uh, we don't have a clear name for her, but uh, so this was an additional friend, you know, not Patsy, someone else. Um, she got to the house and Tina and her friend walked to Alameda Park to have fun. These festivals were a blast. There was all kinds of booths and food and, you know, they were like carnival style. Lots of fun things to do. Yeah. So they headed to the park to have fun Uh, at the time. That was the last time Tina's mother saw her. Mm. Yeah. So at the park that day, there was a ton of things. Now, Alameda Park is right next to what was called a, for a long time, the mini dome. Mm-hmm. It's an enormous dome uh, that then it's been changed to the whole arena now, but it's where Idaho state football plays uh, well plays football. There's all kinds of things that, that go on in there, all kinds of events, all kinds of shows, a monster truck rallies, all yeah, kinds of things. Huge that's, indoor arena. Mm-hmm. So that's where this was all going on. There's also ball fields there and there were several different, uh, ball games going on and competitions and just, you know, it was a big party. It was a big thing going on all day long mm-hmm. meals and, you know, all kinds of fancy stuff. So that's kind of what they were, where they were at the stuff that they were doing. All right. So at some point they connect with each other at the park and, you know, Patsy is there. They're all kind of just met, they've met up with a whole bunch of friends that they're visiting with and talking to and, Uh, At some point, Tina and Patsy and the other friend meet up and they start talking and 
Later, after the girls disappeared, the other friend does uh, admit to the police that they were uh, smoking weed a little mm. bit. Um, this was 1978. I don't think that's a very big surprise. Mm. But, you know, but I do think it's one of those things that was probably used to judge these girls. Yeah. Yes. So, it's particularly at that time in that area. Yeah, I'm sure that immediately shed suspicious light on them individually, which sucks, but I'm sure it did. Yep, for sure. So the friend had to leave it too because she was actually grounded. So <laughs> I don't know if she was there, even though her mom was not home or whatever. But anyway, she had to leave. Um, Tina asked her if she would come and babysit with her that evening, and she thought she could. Tina said she'd call her at five. She never did. So that was kind of where the connection to that friend ended. Okay. At some point, they ran into another friend named Mary Edwards. She was a student at Franklin Junior High. Uh, they had gotten to be good friends with her, and Tina's family weren't very down with it. They did not like Mary and her family. Um, it sounds like she had a little more uh, rough home life. There was rumors that there were drugs and alcohol readily available at her older sister's house. And that's where a lot of kids had kind of started to congregate. Ah, okay. And Tina's parents had tried to kind of uh, create some separation between those families and it had caused quite the rift. Uh, additionally, another family member after the fact had said that uh, Tina had asked that person to buy alcohol for her and her friends. And when they said no, she got really upset just right before this happened. Ah, okay. So Tina was spending more and more time at Mary Edwards's house and was referring to her mother as her second mom. So she was pretty close with this family. Mm -hmm. And again, her family was not cool with it. They didn't like the Edwards family. And uh, her mother had told detectives at one point that she was concerned her grades would slip if she kept hanging out with these people. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't know about all that, but that's, that's, well, you know, yeah. a girl that age, you get worried about what kind of influence they might be around and if it's something that's bad for them. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Now, Melissa Campbell, Patsy's sister, uh, was nine at the time. And she said that at one point, Patsy and Tina were pushing her on the swings and then they left to get corn dogs for everyone and never came back. She says that she saw Patsy leaning against, leaning against, this is weird to me, a, a man that she didn't know wearing a hoodie and a large ring. She said that Patsy seemed unbalanced, like she couldn't stand herself up. Uh-huh. Another male at the park also said that he saw her with a, a strange man that he didn't recognize. So those there are very few witnesses. So there's just these tiny snippets from people that kind of think that maybe they saw this. Sure. This was the last thing that Melissa ever time. This was the last time that Melissa saw her sister uh, and she's died now. Wow. All right. So moving forward. And by the way, this, uh, a lot of my information has come from East Idaho uh, missing persons. Mm -hmm. Uh, Crystal Douglas runs that page and she is an amazing researcher and person. She She needs to have all of the credit for all of the work on this case. She does an amazing job on this case and continues to fight for answers on this one. Okay. So Bud Campbell, Patsy's father, finally, you know, gets done with his job, comes back to the park in the afternoon, can't find any of his kids. He left them all there. Remember Mm-hmm. And he finally goes home to see if maybe they left early. Apparently, it was a really, really hot day. And the other kids, Dell, Melissa, and Elizabeth, had already walked back home because it was so freaking hot. Mm-hmm. They had looked and looked for Patsy and couldn't find her. So Bud goes back to Alameda Park and searches the park. Nothing. So he goes home. He starts going back every two hours and looking around the park to see if he can find her uh, to no avail. He even goes to some of the homes of Patsy's friends. He doesn't feel good about it. He feels like there's something wrong. Uh, he just doesn't know what. He goes to local hangouts. He drives up and down streets near the park. He 
you know, really looks everywhere for her. And it just wasn't like her to not be where she said she would be. Sure. And he was feeling pretty uneasy about it. And this was pretty early in the day, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay. So. While he's searching, he runs into another dad who can't find his daughter. This mm -hmm. was a Hispanic dad who spoke very little English. Uh, they were from American Falls. American Falls is a little farming community outside of Pocatello. Mm -hmm. And they compared notes, said they'd watch for each other's daughters, and off they go. Uh, this, this will be important later. But uh, he never did see her. But uh, I'll tell you later why this counts, why it's important. But at any rate, uh, he didn't get the man's name or anything. He just kind of talked to him in passing, and they both went their separate ways, very worriedly, looking for their daughters. So Tina shows up to babysit at about 6.30 p.m. Well, she wasn't scheduled to babysit till 7, and the lady that she was supposed to babysit for turned her out, told her to come back at 7. So she left, and she went back to the park. Apparently, this uh, the house that she was babysitting at was literally across the street from the park. Okay. And she said she actually watched her out the window, walk back to the park and to the swings where another girl was and start talking to her. So she figured she'd just come back. This was at 630. Mm -hmm. At seven, she doesn't come back. So this lady who, you know, Tina has babysat for forever, has a two-year-old that she adores. You know, these are family friends. She's worried. She starts searching Alameda Park, cannot find her, finally calls her family to say she is. I don't know where she is, you know, so they all start looking. Uh, there had been some uh, conversation around that, that she had felt horribly guilty that she uh, didn't keep her there when she first showed up. Sure. You know, it's not her fault. She couldn't no, have known. It's not. You know? And at that time in our area, it was not even a consideration that she wouldn't be safe to go somewhere and come back. Yeah. I mean, we grew up in this same era we walked everywhere. We rode our bikes everywhere. We stayed out late. We, you know, there was no fear that somebody was going to take yeah. us or hurt us. It just, this kind of stuff hadn't really hit our community. I mean, this mm -hmm. case had, you know, but there weren't enough of them yet for people to really be afraid because yeah. we didn't grow up with this fear. And these girls, you know, they're older than us, but yeah, similar community that we grew up in. And I, I, I totally get it. Like nobody yeah. was, they're all they're just off no. at somebody's house they'll be home you know yeah totally totally and of course this is 1978 there's sure no cell phones you know no. No. we don't know what's going on and we, our parents had less of a finger on us at that point you know for it's sure just, but, for but sure. again yeah there wasn't the worry so much that there you know would be now but I think as a but, kid you were savvier too because you knew how to get yes. home knew you know you weren't afraid to be out you weren't you know it wasn't like you were calling your mom scared because you were no you weren't yeah. you were just out playing yeah. and doing your thing right totally so they finally later that night both families file uh, missing persons reports there is okay. no one after 6 30 no witnesses that say that they saw the girls okay and finally on july 24th two days later uh Officer Fenwick from Pocatello, the Pocatello PD, and C.R. Anderson, uh, that's Tina's father, they visit the homes to inquire about the girls. So they start, you know, asking about where are the girls, where could they have gone. The siblings of both of these girls claim that the police were very dismissive, treated them like runaways, didn't act very concerned at all. Mm -hmm. Um, they did do some investigation, but it seems like it was pretty minor. I mean, again, at that time, they didn't have a lot uh, to be concerned about, you know? Right. Yeah. It, well, it was again, most likely they'd taken off and were, you know. Right. Well, and, you know, they had gotten some reports about these girls that I think, uh, you know, made them think maybe they had just run off to do drugs or something. Right. So this is a portion of Officer Fenwick's report. He says, Along with the father of the missing juvenile, C.R. Anderson, I checked with Carol Edwards. Remember Carol Edwards? Mm -hmm. This is the, uh, the family that nobody likes. Yeah. At her home, she stated that Tina, Patsy, and another girl 
and her her sister Mary Edwards. So Mary is uh, Mary was the friend, but there's some conversation. This is her Mary's sister came yeah. home late Saturday about two thirty. So at some point they left Alameda Park, got in the car with. There's two different accounts. They either got in the car with some boys and uh, Mary's sister, or they got in the car with Carol. And both stories have been told to the police. So we're a little unsure about who they got in the car with. Um, They went for a ride to a place called the Moonlight Mine. Mm, Okay. Are you familiar with Moonlight Mine? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of it. Okay. So at some point they are taken back to town. And they dropped them off at Alameda Park. Uh, it sounds like maybe they had dropped them off at Alameda Park sometime around six o'clock. And Tina, of course, had a babysitting job at seven o'clock. So she said she needed to uh, come back. So, of course, we know that she went to the babysitting job and then was, uh, you know, left and came back later. So that's what we know. So we do know now that they did leave Alameda Park for a while and came back. Mm-hmm. and came back and yeah okay and she's then the the babysitter lady sees her talking to obviously patsy in the park mm-hmm. yes okay. so, so it's between 6 30 and 7 is when they went missing then yes so uh fenwick also says he spoke with mary edwards that's the other friend at her home uh she stated that she was with the two girls on saturday but he didn't, she did not say anything about them leaving and going to Moonlight Mine. This was kind of, there were people covering this up a little bit. Yeah, because they were uh, going they were to drink, smoke weed yeah. and do mm-hmm. dumb teenager stuff. And yeah. She did. Then this is where the runaway thing happened. Uh, in part, Mary told the police that two weeks before Tina had had a fight with her father and stated that she wanted to run away. So that's what young teen preteen had not had that happen. I mean, they, they didn't run away. No, no, that was just something that she said when she was pissed. You know, I mean, kids say things like that sometimes. And but anyway, that's that's kind of the crux of it. I mean, they did ask the community. They did try, you know, but they didn't uh, get very far. But there's a few kind of interesting questions here. Carol Edwards uh, and Mary Edwards knew that Tina had gone to babysit and then sent back out. And that's kind of an interesting question because Mary claims that uh, after they got back from Moonlight Park or Moonlight Mine, well, she didn't actually even say they went to Moonlight Mine, but, you know, basically she says that she hadn't seen them until earlier in the, since earlier in the afternoon, but somehow Carol and Tina or Carol and Mary did tell the police that uh, Tina had gone to babysit and had been told to come back later. Mm-hmm. So they knew something, but they, okay. they weren't saying. Uh, of course, we have to wonder why Mary didn't say anything to the police about the ride to Moonlight Mine. And then Carol Edwards said they dropped Patsy and Tina off at the park. But later on, someone else said that uh, it was Mary's sister and some boys that they were with that dropped them back off at the park. Yeah. So it kind of seems like Carol Edwards is covering. Mm -hmm. And obviously Mary is covering for something. So those are just some questions that are kind of posed here that we never really do get the answer to. Well, I do feel they were covering for, first of all, covering for going to the Moonlight Mine to begin with, but they were with Mm -hmm. some boys that were quite a bit older than them. Mm -hmm. And they were doing some things they should not have been doing. And these girls were quite a bit younger than most of the people that went on that trip. They were way too young to have been doing this. And I do feel like they were lying about some of it to try to protect themselves because they had taken these two, you know, what are they, 12 and 14? I mean, way too young. 12 and 15. 12 and 15. Way too young to be going out, hanging out with boys at Moonlight Mine, you know, drinking and smoking weed and stuff. I also feel that they know 100% who took these kids. And it was one of those boys that was with them and that they are covering, that they they know. I I 100% feel that they know exactly what happened. Okay. All right. Well, 
I, I'm going to validate you. We're going to keep going. Uh, three years pass. Three years. There are kind of a... God, they're poor families. I cannot imagine. Minor attempts, but yeah, there's just nothing to go on. Well, in 1981, on October 15th, two hunters come across their bodies. The hunters are 22 and 21 years old. Oh, gosh. My heart just has gone really out to them because what a horrible, what a horrible scene, you know? Right. <sighs> so they had come across their bodies. Of course, they call the police. The police come and, you know, they pretty immediately uh are able to identify Tina from her uh, dental records. The other body they're reasonably sure is uh, Mary, but they are, sorry, not Mary, is Patsy, but they don't know for sure. And that actually, they didn't confirm for certain that was her body until 2007 with DNA. So that's when I think I remember something about this case being in the news. Their names mm -hmm. is when that happened. Yeah. Yep. Now there's another part of the officer narrative that came out. Part of the problem is that this case wasn't very organized. There was a lot of information kind of spread out. Mm. And when they found the bodies, they sent evidence off to various labs and then never followed up on it. And evidence was lost mm. and never returned. And just, you know, like the police work was real rough. Really Honestly, rough. very inexperienced. It feels yes. to me like they just never dealt with anything like this before mm -hmm. and they didn't know what the hell they were doing. You know, now there are all kinds of protocols and procedures for stuff like that. And back then, I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, we don't have that great of forensics in our area now in 2020. No. I can't yeah. imagine back then, you know, they're sending ago. things off yeah. probably out of state to have it, mm -hmm. you know, or to Boise or somewhere very far away. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the officer narratives is uh, I then proceeded to uh, East Bridger in an attempt to contact Mary Edwards. Remember, this is the friend. I contacted her there and asked if she could recall any facts or rumors that might assist in the investigation. She stated that she was very good friends with Tina, but that Tina had never confided in her that she was going to run away. She had changed her story at this point. This was a little after the fact. Uh, and after her disappearance, she said Tina had never called her to inform her of her whereabouts. She stated that she had heard a rumor that a female named Candy had received a call from Tina and that Tina was allegedly in Salt Lake at the time of the call. This is what Mary tells the police. Mary could supply no further information and was not familiar with Candy's identity. Uh, the officer said, I requested that she check with old friends and if information came to light to relay it to me. Mm -hmm. So now they're throwing out this new name, Candy, and nobody knows who Candy is. This is not familiar to anybody. Uh, this is you no know, bullshit subterfuge. They're just it's pertinent. Yeah. telling a story to try to throw the police off from looking at their family and the people that they know because yeah. they know. So then... He gets back with Carol Webb, who had been Carol Edwards at the time, and requested to speak to her and her husband, Monty. She, he contacted them at their residence and asked if they could add any information to the original report. Because again, something isn't right. They reiterate that they had driven to Moonlight Mine with both victims and later in the afternoon dropped both victims off at Alameda Park. Carol thought that Tina had to babysit for someone named LaVon Walker, who resides across the street from Alameda Park. Uh, there had been another report that the person she was babysitting for was by the last name of Nelson. So I don't know. But in essence, they gave the same chain of events that had been given on the original report in 1978. But again, there had been other rumors that they had gone to Moonlight Mine with some boys so they anyway they went to Moonlight Mine with some older boys mm -hmm. high school and older I feel like there was at least one actual adult in that group of people okay so Monty Webb this is the husband of of Carol of the mom right Monty Webb indicated that since the disappearance of the victims in 1978 
The subject came up now and again as to their whereabouts and that his brother, his kid brother, Rich Hodges, had mentioned once that his girlfriend, Candy, who I assume is the same Candy mentioned earlier in the report by Mary. So Mary would be the niece of Rich Hodges. Okay. Mm -hmm. Had allegedly received a phone call from Tina. Monty stated that if contacted, Rich will probably resist questioning because he does not want to become involved. (laughs) Monty stated that Rich does not have a telephone, but did give his address. I inquired to have a telephone even in 1978. No, this isn't 1978. This is 1981. This is after the bodies are found. Yeah, right. He didn't have a phone. Right. I inquired as to whether they were familiar with Candy and they could supply no further information in regards to her identity. Okay. So now we have, we're inserting Monty now into the story and his brother, Rich. And yeah, it just, it's getting a little thicker, right? Mm-hmm. Sure is. Okay. So obviously... Who the hell was Candy? Was there a person named Candy? Was that a lie in the first place? What? Why did Mary say that uh, Tina had called? Nobody ever told the police that or Tina's parents that until they were pressed again in 1981. Tina's family has no idea who this person would be. They'd never heard that name before, nor had Patsy's. Nobody had any idea who that was. Okay. In 1986, so now the girls' bodies were found in 1981. In 1986, a skull was found about 400 yards from where the girls were found. Uh, That skull. Yeah, makes you really wonder. The Tina's dad really felt like maybe the family wasn't legal and that they did not uh, go to the police with their missing daughter because they weren't legal. Would be not unusual here. Mm-hmm. But he really believes that farm workers in our area. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, American Falls is a huge uh, yeah. rural farming community. It's very likely. Yeah. And uh, due to his English being really rough as well. But anyway, it's very possible that there was a third victim that was never named. So they do kind of a terrible job with the skull. It gets lost for a while. They finally find it again, like lost in evidence. They find it again. Uh, Dr. Forch from Pocatello examines it and says it belongs to an African-American teen female, which was very confusing because uh, in 1978, Pocatello, that was about as white as it gets. Much more likely to be Hispanic. Yeah. So at this point, that's when the skull is lost. In 2006, uh, the University of North Texas reanalyzes the skull from photos. And decides, no, the uh, skull was more likely Caucasian. Mm. They do decide that that skull was hit repeatedly with a blunt object. Now, that is a little different because they did determine that Mary and Patsy were both shot. So we still don't know. They still don't know who that skull belonged to. That's That's gone completely unsolved, but... All right, and now I absolutely feel that it's related, though. That it's the same. How is it possible? You know, that really three ditched bodies end up within you know four hundred yards of each other in that area. Come on. All right, so now in December two thousand six, two thousand six, so twenty years after, Mm -hmm. uh, some inmates in the Idaho Correctional Facility are eating. And a conversation turns towards the reopening of a cold case in Pocatello. And one of the inmates, a guy named Greg Whitworth from Pocatello, asks what they're talking about. And they said uh, the disappearance of Tina Anderson. And he says, oh, I know her. I was one of the last people to see her alive. Then he tells the story that he and Monty Webb, the stepdad, had taken the girls for a ride up Moonlight Mine in Monty's truck that day. He says they drank beer with the girls and brought them back to the park. Yeah. Now, of course, Carol had said she was there, right? 
he says, no, it was just him and Monty. Monty clearly was a freaking creeper, you know? Yeah. All right. Nobody talked about Greg, Greg Whitworth. That's for sure. Yeah. Right? No. All right. So that inmate's tip was given to, that was a tip that was given to the police uh, in late 2006. Um, a lot of it, uh, you know, it didn't come to much. Uh, however, Greg Whitworth get, went to Alameda Junior High. Same as Patsy Campbell and same as Tina. Yeah. Now, another classmate named Richard Hodges was the younger brother of Monty Webb. Remember, we talked about Rich, who supposedly had the girlfriend named Candy? Yeah. Guess where he went to junior high? Alameda. Yeah. These kids all went to school together to some degree. Mm-hmm. So Greg He's Whitworth, guess who Greg Whitworth's best friend was? Mm. Rich Webb. Rich. Greg died in 2010. Unfortunately, what's happening is that the people who actually know have died off in droves. And that's what's really frustrating about this case, because uh, the people who know what happened to these girls are dying rapidly. And we've never gotten the info from them about what actually happened. All right. So lots of questions about, you know, what actually happened at Moonlight Mine, how many people were actually there, what men were there or boys or whatever. But Christy, you're absolutely right that they were with men and boys. You know, there was an adult there. There were other boys there. They were drinking. There was definitely, you know, hijinks going on at the mine. Okay. So. Fast forward now to 2016. And in 2016, the sheriff's office posts on their Facebook page that the case has been solved. This was the Oneida Sheriff's page. One thing that I've heard is that the Pocatello police and the Oneida police punted this case back and forth. And mm-hmm. argued and argued about who was actually supposed to be in charge of it because nobody wanted to be in charge of it. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons it didn't get investigated well. Mm-hmm. Because they were both kind of uh, throwing it back and forth at each other, which I'm sure is unfair to some degree. I, I'm sure that there were some detectives that cared and that tried. You know, I don't want to completely negate yeah. that. But and there was remember the time frame and, yeah. and the resources that they had available to them. I mean, it. Even now, our resources are pretty pathetic when it comes to something like this. So, yeah. So, again, 2016, Oneida Sheriff's posts that they have solved the case. They said there was a lot of confusion as to where the girls were actually killed. However, in the investigation, evidence was located at the scene that confirmed the murders had occurred in our jurisdiction. So they decided that the girls were killed right there, basically where their bodies were dumped. Mm -hmm. Investigators are confident in who the perpetrators of the murders are, what the motive was, and how the murders occurred, the post read. Even though the physical evidence has been lost through the years, investigators have done multiple interviews with suspects and witnesses and have led to conclusions of what happened. Even though the evidence is circumstantial, it is very strong evidence. This was posted on Facebook, okay? Well, then nothing happens. They don't say another word. No arrests are made. Nothing goes on. The uh, press all try to contact the sheriff and he refuses to speak to them. In the post, he also said, and I wish I could read the post to you, but it's been deleted. (laughs) Well, it seems that it was rather unwise to do in the first place. Definitely. But in the post, he said that in 1998, that the Oneida County Sheriff was given a manila envelope from a state investigator that contained a few statements, reports, and photos regarding the Anderson-Campbell case, and that based on those documents, investigators from Oneida and elsewhere pursued leads and statements and ultimately solved the case. Then he said... That was... They got this stuff in 98, and then he posts this in 2016? Yeah. And then he says... The attorney general's office was moving forward with charges on multiple occasions. 
However, this did not transpire as one prosecutor moved out of state, another prosecutor left the attorney general's office, and another prosecutor became a judge. So essentially, he says, uh, no one ever charged anybody because the prosecutors all kept, uh, you know, flying the coop. So nobody did that job. What? No. So then the uh, Idaho State Journal, they contact the attorney general's office for a statement. And they say the office of the attorney general is not involved in this case. And it died right there. There wasn't another conversation. The post on Facebook disappeared. There were never any charges filed. And that's where the case is today. I feel like the sheriff was trying to force the attorney general's office to file charges. I feel like that was an attempt to strong arm them to file a case that they didn't have enough evidence to actually file. And that this was, we were publicly seeing the struggle that was going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Now, in 2018, there was a tip that came forward. From a woman who said that in 1980, she was 14 years old. She was in that Alameda area of Pocatello. Mm-hmm. She was 14. She was walking down the road. A man driving a muscle car, a dark blue muscle car, pulled up to her, told her his name was Monty Webb. This is the creepy stepdad. Offers her a ride. And she is nervous about getting in the car with him, but decides to get in the car. As he's driving down the road, he tells her that he knew her friend, Tina. Freaks her out. He starts making sexual advances towards her, and she jumps out of the car and takes off. She didn't tell anybody that until 2018. She still has remained anonymous, but uh, I believe that she probably uh, gave that information to Crystal. But at any rate... uh, So there's yet another uh, instance of Monty being inappropriate and creepy with girls right around that time. The girls didn't run away. I mean, it's obvious the girls didn't run away. None of them took a single thing with them, including money, clothing, stuff of any sort. Really, all we have is the conflicting information from Mary Edwards's family. And that's pretty much where we are. Now, Karen Edwards on Facebook uh, in July of 2017 uh, said that her entire family was questioned at the time. Karen, sorry, Karen, not Mary. Yeah, Karen, the sister. Sorry. Uh, she Carol, said that she, isn't it Carol? Carol was the mom. Oh, the mom. Karen and then Karen. Was, okay. Mm-hmm. Right, Karen right. was the sister. Mary was the friend. So... Mm-hmm. Karen on Facebook, someone asks her, they tag her in a post when, you know, a lot of conversation about this case was going on yet again. Mm-hmm. And she says, hey, Karen, question for you, if I may, how many people in your family and your brother-in-law's family were questioned? She says, all of us. Karen says, the two girls were at my parents' house with my youngest sister and asked for a ride to the park. They weren't hanging out. Maybe you should do some more research since you seem to be missing a lot of facts. So she gets pretty uh, defensive. And then someone says, that would be great. Uh, Let's see. Then she responds to someone else. Tina was a friend of my youngest sister. I would see her at my parents' house. I never met Patsy. My family was targeted because my sister and her husband both dropped the girls at the park the day they disappeared. Oh, I've got something wrong. Carol wasn't the mom. She was the sister. Okay. That's what I was thinking. So Carol and Monty. So Monty wasn't creepy stepdad. I'm sorry, you guys, this has been very hard to track. So Monty He's wasn't creepy. Brother-in-law. He was creepy brother-in-law. Yes. Yep. Okay. My family was targeted because my sister and her husband dropped both girls off at the park the day they disappeared. They were put through hell for several years. Yes. I want to know who killed these girls, but I know my family had nothing to do with it. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, that that's basically the crux of it. But it all roads kind of do drive back to, to Greg, to Monty, to Rich. Yeah. So that's where it's at. I mean, there have been a lot of weird twists and turns over the years, but that's pretty much where the case resides now. I will say that I do believe that... Uh, 
this, well, I'm going to let you decide. I'll, I'll let you speak on that. But uh, there's, you know, this has been a big uh, case in Pocatello that's created a lot of uh, division for years. But I'm going to tell you, too, that there were three other missing girls in Pocatello within a 10-year time period. Right. One of them, uh, Bundy admitted to her death. But there were other girls, too, that uh, we still don't know what happened to them. <clears throat> so there was this wasn't the only case of uh missing girls and then of course we have the Jane Doe that was found there as well so that's pretty much what I've got okay so here's what I've got um the the two that hit me are are Monty and Rich and I feel like they saw the girls hanging out of the park alone after they had dropped them off they decided to take them back up into the hills to have some fun. I do feel they sexually assaulted them and that the girls were very upset and that they were going to tell on them and they shot them and killed them to keep them quiet. It, it is as simple as it is could be, to be perfectly honest. It's not complicated. It's not some weird stranger. They didn't run away. It was the very people that were already taking advantage of them that day by including them in the stuff they were doing to begin with. Those girls should have never gone with them to Moonlight Mine and been up on that road, you know, way up out of nowhere. But I feel like they, these brothers decided to go have some fun with these girls alone. And that it ended in them killing them to keep them from reporting sexual assault. The Jane Doe. Do we think she was with them a part of that? Or do we think no. that this happened at a different time? Different time. Different time. And do we think it was them? Yeah, I do. I, I feel like there are quite a few uh, bodies on them that we may never be able to approve, unfortunately. But I do. That is exactly what I feel like. That they and were you think these predatory. cases will ever be solved? I don't think so. I don't, I don't have a clear, yes, they will be solved. I do feel like this is one of those cases where everybody, there are a lot of people in the community who know, who know exactly what happened and who know who did it, but they're covering and protecting family and protecting themselves. And I don't feel like they're ever going to talk. And like you said, many of them have died. Yeah. Yeah. They're not all around. And I do feel like that this case will not come to a resolution, which I wish that it would for the sake of these girls' families, for the families of some other girls that I think may be also related to the situation. Mm -hmm. But I don't actually feel like it will. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you have it. Uh, yeah. So in my mind, Carol, Mary. Mm -hmm. Monty and Rich and maybe Greg mm -hmm. all share some responsibility here. Right. They and all know a secret that they are the people who know the truth that yeah. they, they have never told. Yeah. That's, yep. That's what I feel too. Yeah. And huge, huge props to Crystal Douglas for her work yes. on this case. She is the person who has assembled a great deal of uh, information. She's really the person who has dug the deepest for answers on this case. And she really deserves that, uh, the credit for what she's done. And I know she didn't do it uh, for attention, you know, but she absolutely deserves it. She and does. if you guys are interested, she has on Facebook, she has East Idaho cold cases and she does tremendous work in Idaho on cold cases, including she crowdfunded to create a, playing card a deck of playing cards of missing people from this area and she puts them in the prisons mm -hmm. uh, this is the second version about to go out yeah and the first yeah. version quite a few of those cases have been solved yeah because they those get out into uh, the jails and people see pictures and suddenly uh tongues start wagging so yeah. anyway just want to throw a lot of respect to crystal and all of the work that she has done and continues to do in idaho we had an instance several years ago with a cousin that disappeared. Uh, thank God he was only gone for a few days and he was found. 
uh, mm-hmm. safe. But uh, the moment we reached out to her with our missing person case, she was on top of it. She was posting. She gave us a ton of resources and people to talk to and help. And uh, it's, it's invaluable. So I just yeah. want to send a lot of uh, love and recognition and props her way because she's an amazing person that does a lot of good in Idaho. She sure uh, is. I hope every state has a crystal Douglas. She sure is. And it's, you know, there are a lot of missing people in the state for mm-hmm. the size of our population. I think one of the reasons is because there are lots of places to hide people. You yeah. know, there's only a small number of acreage in Idaho where their people actually live. There are huge yeah. amounts of the state that are unoccupied. Yeah. And uh, that makes all of this harder as, you know, like the Dior Coons case is another one that, you know, yeah, there's a lot of places to hide that little body. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All righty. Well, thank you very much. Absolutely. So we will be back later tonight. It's Wednesday. So we'll be back later tonight with some case updates. Um, I think we'll probably be bringing you some updates from the uh, mast case that we mm-hmm. presented on Monday. There's been quite a bit of uh, movement there. And next week, the mast case, uh, all four defendants go to court on the 5th. And then um, on the 6th, we have daybells in court. So we'll have yeah. a lot of movement next week on active cases. So that's we will. That's, that's exciting. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, don't forget, you guys, if you're interested in studying with us, if you're interested in the psychic work that we do, come and join Spirit School. It's just a membership here on YouTube. It's $14.99 a month. You'll be privy to a guided meditation every month, as well as two classes. You know, Christy and I have both been teaching in the metaphysical realm now for 15 plus years, and we have a lot to offer. So come and be in that group. It's turning into quite the community. It is. It is. And if you and need a spiritual, so metaphysical community, look no further. Yeah. You, this is one. You've got one. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. All righty. Well, Christy, thank you so much for that. I appreciate you. I, I am absolutely with you on your synopsis of this case. I think it's totally right. I. It makes me very angry that this case has been treated the way it has and that yeah. these people have just blatantly gone away, gotten away with what they've done. Just continued to live in the community where they have offended. I know. It's horrifying. Mm-hmm. It really is. All right, guys. Well, have a good day. You have been listening to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. Take care. Bye, guys. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can always like and subscribe there as well. We also love comments and reviews. True Crime Paranormal is hosted by Katie Weaver and Christy Brower and produced by Christy Brower. True Crime Paranormal is a short girl productions podcast.